All right, well, good morning. Yes, uh, I am Nathan Edwards, and uh, it is a real privilege to be here um, to preach. Uh, so I don't know how many of you know all of my story. Uh, I've kept a lot of it uh, private, but you do know at least how it begins that, uh, as Richie uh, shared, I grew up in this church and uh, cut my teeth on a lot of ministry practice abusing you week in and week out with uh, lessons I could only learn by abusing you. So uh, thank you for taking that and uh, letting me grow and uh, discern my call. But that was that takes you up to at best 2017 with me. And um, so five years have gone by. And uh, I, I guess I, I think as I uh, have you look at me, but also, let's just admit it, as I look at you guys, uh, I think we probably have the same question going through our head, which is, what has happened to you? <laughs> what has happened to you is a question I think all of us have to share about the last five years. Uh, my, my sense of call to ministry uh, before I left was uh, was really grappling with a question, what sort of church uh, do you want me to serve in, Lord? Do you want me to, to plant a church? I thought maybe that's, that's my gifting, maybe that's what I should do. Uh, on the flip side of that, perhaps I should uh, practice pastoring a, a church that already exists. And so I was pursuing applications in both directions back in 2016 and, and 2017. And uh, at the early side of 2017, the Lord sent the answer that there was a church in Baton Rouge that wanted me to be their pastor, and so uh, that was the answer. So I left really five years ago, it was July of 2017, to go down to Baton Rouge. Uh, if you don't know Baton Rouge, uh, you can go outside, and you can imagine that being how it feels for 245 days. That will be Baton Rouge for you. Uh, the other 20 days are just hotter. <laughs> so uh, went down to Baton Rouge in 2017, pastored there, and then that pastor ended uh, in June of, of 2020. And it ended uh, not because I desired it to end, but because uh, all of the things that came about in 2020 just made my ability to continue with like-mindedness and, uh, uh, and, and, and fellow ministry energy with the other leaders of that church just came to a place where it, it could not keep going. So it was very heartbreaking um, that I resigned that pastorate. And um, that was a, a very rough stretch. So that's a little bit of my story. I'll share more as we get through uh, the rest of this message. But uh, I think as I try and picture what it felt like to go through some of the last five years for me, and actually I think it's probably uh, appropriate for all of you because it's been tough, uh, is like we've been dropped in a Plinko game. You guys know Plinko uh, from The Price is Right? The idea is that this uh, game, you have a, a puck that goes at the top of this maze of, of pins that the puck hits and drops back and forth, and, and it goes left and right down this uh, board until it falls into uh, a slot where you get your prize. Except the Plinko of life uh, doesn't have any prizes at the bottom, but uh, we do, I think, get to relate to the experience of being a Plinko puck. And here's, here's what I, I mean by that. The last several years, We've all been bouncing through uh, just very unforgiving pins, uh, cultural pins. You know, what, what should you do with a pandemic? How should you worship in a pandemic? What should you do with masks? What should you do with the vaccine? Who should you listen to? And every single one of those were big, unforgiving pins. And some of us hit those pins and we went this way. And other people hit those pins and we went that way. Uh, go through the racial tension of 2020. And we hit more pins. And one this way, some that way, etc. Uh, not that there are just two ways, there are many ways. We went through a political season that was uh, bloodying. Those are just the public ones. You've also had your own personal life where you've had sicknesses, 
Uh, you've had separations. You've had heartbreaks in your own life. And a lot of times, because of a pandemic, you've had to go through those really alone. Each one of those are more pleco pins that you have come up against and been bruised and bashed. And so you're, you're, you're feeling like you're in this plinko box. And then the next thing that it makes us like a plinko puck is we just have had this sense of constant falling, right? Like we are just, we know that we're not moving in a good direction. We just keep going down lower and lower and bruise and bruise. And so we have this sinking feeling. And then when it's all over, the good news is you land in a box, you land in a box, but here's the problem. You are in a box separated and isolated from so many people. Like you, you started five or six years ago, and you thought, all these people, are we're all kind of like each other. We're, we're similar. And then you've gone through this Plinko board, and you realize that person I thought I knew was in a box like six boxes away. I don't even understand that person anymore. They don't understand the box that you're in. And so we've all fallen through this Plinko board of life, we felt bruised, we felt like we're falling, we felt out of control, and at the end of the day, we feel more separated and isolated than we've ever felt. Raise your hand if I've said anything that relates to you. Yeah. So where are we? We are spiritually drained. I, I don't know anybody that's saying, I'm in the best spiritual state of my life. I'm just thrilled. We're discouraged. And maybe we're defeated. We are just weak from all of this. That, that's, that's me. And I think that's probably you. So today I have a hopeful message. And here, here's the hope of the message. Whatever you have been through, know that God is not finished with you. Whatever you've been through, know that God has not finished, is not finished with you. Today we are going to focus on how God makes the weak strong. And so we are going to be looking at the mighty prophet Elijah who goes into a deep season of weakness and failure. This ties into your uh, message on Hebrews 11. So we'll, we'll start with where uh, that brings us to the story of Elijah, and then we will go into the story of Elijah. So we're going to read the word. Do you do anything special for the reading of the word? Do you stand for it or anything like that? I want you to sit reverently as I read the word of God to you this morning. From Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. And, of, uh, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. So much is packed in there. What we are focusing on is the author of Hebrews mentioning of the prophets who through faith were made strong out of weakness. And so to see that, we're going to go back to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19 is the story of Elijah right after his dramatic and triumphant victory against all of the false prophets of Baal. In, northern, uh, in the northern kingdom. And, I mean, it's, it's the best, it's an awesome chapter where he, uh, he calls for them to, to show their God is real and they can't. And then he says, well, look at this. And he brings fire down from heaven and, and God shows that he is the one true God. And uh, it's, a, it's an amazing victory moment uh, and uh, shows the might of Elijah as a prophet. But then right after that, we come to 1 Kings 19, I mean, the, the sun is hardly set on what just happened, and we come to these words. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life 
as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you thankful for your word. I pray, Father, that you would make us all ready to receive it, that you would settle and still our minds, that we can hear you today, that the many distractions and the calls to busyness, Father, that you would just bring those to a place of quiet so that we can know you and know what you do for those who feel weak, how you make strong again. Father, help me as I preach to preach this word with clarity, with compassion, with conviction, and Father, most of all, in a way that lets you speak, not me. I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So the good news today is this. God brings his people into weakness to replenish them in his strength. That's, that's the good news I want us to hear. God brings his people into weakness to replenish him, them with his strength. And how does he do that? 1 Kings 19 is going to show us that God brings strength out of weakness by advancing our faith through three stages. So those three stages that we're going to go through uh, is just going to march us through 1 Kings 19. The first stage that God uh, uses to bring strength out of weakness is this, the stage called the point of resignation. The point of resignation. So 1 Kings 19 is about Elijah. Elijah is one of the uh, Mount Rushmore figures of the Old Testament. You would say Moses, and then you would say Elijah, and then we could all have our conversation about who would be three and four. Elijah is one of the biggest, most influential, most powerful men of God that we meet in the Old Testament. He does great things. He prays for it to stop raining, and it stops raining. He prays for it to rain, and it rains. He prays for a child to come back to life, and the child comes back to life. I mean, this guy is top in terms of a man of God in the Old Testament. He is fresh off of probably the greatest victory of any prophet, uh, a showdown of First, uh, First Kings 18 that anyone could imagine. I mean, it is glorious. I mean, you, you just look at that and, and, and marvel at, for, at the, all that he does in First Kings 18. And then we come in to chapter 19 and we hear that he is afraid. For lots of us, that's, that seems like how? How could, how could this mighty man of God be afraid? How could this mighty man of God suddenly be uh, terrified and afraid and feeling like his ministry is finished? As I have gotten deeper into ministry, I, I understand exactly how 19 follows 18. You see, after a great work of ministry you are in a particularly fragile state. Doing ministry is not much different than playing a great basketball game. At the end of that basketball game, you're tired. At the end of a sermon, you're tired. At the end of any kind of ministry, you're tired. And that tiredness leaves you quite vulnerable and quite fragile and quite used up. Add to that, you have a legitimately scary, powerful enemy in the name of Jezebel. When Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you, she's got a great record of making that come true. So Elijah's sitting here with a, a death threat. He's exceedingly exhausted from his great victory. And we, we read his, his spiritual state in, in verse 10. Let me go ahead and read it for you. 
I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Do you hear in Elijah, he's exhausted? Do you hear in Elijah that he has great ministry disappointment? Because even though he did a great thing in destroying the prophets of all, there is still a lot of false worship. And he feels like, what does it matter? It's still going on. It wasn't a victory. And then he's lonely. He feels like there's no one else in the world who knows him or cares about him. He's the last one, and he is lonely. I can tell you that that exhaustion and disappointment and loneliness, those are ministry burdens that accumulate. You, You get those through Plinko experiences. You are just being battered back and forth And so it is not a surprise to me that we come into 1 Kings 19 with Elijah absolutely empty. And so he is in a state of resignation. He hears this word from Jezebel and he runs away. He is finished. He he is feeling defeated. And and in in this sense, uh, I feel like I can come right alongside Elijah. Because in 2020, I became quite exhausted. The number of things that we had to solve in short time without great answers that anybody would agree on was exhausting. We were quarantined. We were in uh, growing levels of disagreement. And so uh, I I was lonely. Never felt more alone than I felt in 2020. And the opposition, the opposition of every decision was there, and it was withering. And so I got to June of 2020, and I I could not see anything uh, very hopeful about staying in Baton Rouge. And I actually came to the place that Elijah is here, and I said, take this church away from me. I can't do it. And in June 2020, uh, the leadership asked for my resignation, and I was happy to give it. So that's Elijah's point of resignation. And that's my point of resignation. But there are many paths to this point of resignation. And I think a lot of us have come to this point. Tragedy. Have you experienced tragedy, sudden, a sudden death, a sudden loss in the last couple years that you just you can't get your wind back from? Health. Have you been dealing with a, 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 a health condition that just, it's unremitting. It wakes up before you wake up and it says, I'm here to, to make your day miserable again. And it's just day after day. What about your, the culture? I mean, how, how do you not just absolutely feel beat up and angry with about 10 minutes on Facebook? And if you aren't feeling beat up and angry on Facebook, it's probably because you're the problem. But that's, that's what we're feeling. Young people, I don't know how you navigate being a Christian in, a, in the dating world or in uh, any number of circumstances without the constant pressure to compromise. And that's exhausting. Marriage. I, I, I expect that there are, are individuals who are just like, when am I ever going to have happiness in this marriage? And I can't get out of it. Or parenting. I mean, imagine you invest 20 years of of self-sacrificing love into your child, and they hate you. Or they reject the faith. 
I mean, do, how do you not deal with the feeling of failure and defeat? So I want to ask you, where are you crying? Verse 4. Where are you crying? It is enough now, Lord. Where is your point of resignation? Might be more than one. Do you have the courage to say, it is enough now, Lord? No one wants this. No one wants the point of resignation. It is the most rotten pie that you can possibly eat. No one wants this. But we must come to our end if the next stage is going to begin. We have to come to the point of resignation. We have to come to the point of absolute desperate weakness to go to the next stage. So as much as you want to push away the question, how much more, Lord? I want you to ask it. I want you to put something specific to it. I want you to come to your point of resignation because it is only there that you are ready to go into the next stage, which is the place of renewal. The place of renewal. So let's continue our story, read a few more verses. Verse 5, And Elijah lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. So Elijah comes to his point of resignation. He cries out, how, how long? It is enough. And at that point, the story shifts and Elijah enters into the place of renewal. And in this place of renewal, he is going to experience, and as we enter the place of renewal with him, we are going to experience three graces of God. The first grace that Elijah feels and experiences from God in this place of renewal is this, God's care. The first thing in the place of renewal that Elijah experiences, the first thing that we are invited to experience in the place of renewal is God's care. An angel shows up and says, arise and eat, and there is food there for him to consume. Notice that the first thing that God does to his despairing prophet is he responds to the exhaustion. He responds to the physical defeatedness of this man. And 40 days, that's all that is dealt with. Arise and eat. 40 days, there's not another word from God there is just 40 days of ministering to Elijah's body and preparing him for the next thing. So right now, Elijah is having his physical needs met, and he's having his physical needs met by just coming to see God as provider. God is caring for him. There is this food. There is this angel. God is there caring for him. We need to go through feeling God's care when we come to the point of resignation. When my pastorate came to its finish point, I went into a total tailspin. I mean, I didn't want to be unemployed in the middle of a pandemic, but when you lose a church, you lose your friends, you lose your community, you lose your kids' friends, you lose your kids' community, and you lose your income. So you go from having all this stuff that makes life work to having none of it. That's terrifying. 
And I was in a tailspin. I, I had questions. You know, what are we going to do for living? What are we going to do for work? What are we going, where are we going to live? Where are we going to, to spend the rest of our next few years? And every single question ended with, I don't know. I don't know. And I hate that. <laughs> do not like saying, I don't know. But every question, all the most basic questions were, I don't knows. And so, I was in this tailspin. I couldn't figure anything out. But then some amazing things happened. The first amazing thing. Becky was told that there's a job for you right up here in Lee Summit. We'll give you as many hours as you want. So we moved back to the, to the Northland. We, have a, uh, we moved back up to uh, Kansas City. We have a job. Now we have to figure out a house. The housing market is a, a beginning to be a mess. Uh, there weren't any houses that seemed as great as the house that we had to leave behind. But on the day that we had our real estate agent to go and look at houses, one came on the market that was in Lee Summit that checked absolutely every box. And so a house showed up for us right at that moment. And then when, when we moved, I mean, uh, they pay you to move you in. <laughs> they don't pay you to move you out. So suddenly everything about getting out of Baton Rouge was expensive. And so we had to find the smallest moving truck that we could, you know, what we could afford. And lots of stuff that we had couldn't fit in it. So we just started selling and giving off to charity. Lots of things that were uh, our creature comforts. So that we really shrunk ourselves into one small box of material possessions. And when we moved into our new house, the next weekend, there was a garage sale. And I kid you not, it was like God's garage sale for the Edwards family. Because every single thing that we had to part with was made available to us, sometimes better than what we got rid of, for pennies on the dollar. And so we saw in this period where it was just full of I don't knows, this word, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I think this is a very, very important uh, faith transition that you have to work through when you're at the point of resignation. In the point of resignation, you need to start taking stock of God's mercies. You need to open your eyes and see something good. Even Jeremiah, who watched uh, Jerusalem burn and was living in rubble, was able to say in the middle of Lamentations, your mercies are new every morning. Now those mercies were not uh, everything was happy-go-lucky, but the mercies were birds were still chirping. Kids were still giggling. Flowers were still blooming. Somehow I still had enough bread today. Those are the mercies that are new every morning. And God took Elijah through that for 40 days. So I encourage you, take stock of God's mercies. They are there. And they will minister to you in the point of resignation. But after God's stage of, of care comes, then we continue our story and we look at verses 9 through 13, where we read, There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke it in pieces, the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. 
And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? The first grace that, that God uh, gives to Elijah and to us in the place of renewal was God's care. But here we see the next grace is God's counsel. God's counsel. Elijah is brought to the Horeb, which is known as the Mount of God. That is where Moses met God. That's where the Ten Commandments were given to the people of God. It is God's mountain. And God brings Elijah to his mountain for a singular purpose. He wants Elijah to spend a season dwelling on God's word all alone. And as he brings him to this mount, God asks Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah's answer was, well, you brought me here, God, right? No, that is not the question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Is God's asking Elijah, why do you need to be here? This question, what are you doing here, is a question that the text asks you today. Gashland, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? The answer is not, well, it's Sunday morning and this is what I do. The answer is not, I'm a church-going person, so I go to church. The answer is not, I didn't have anything better to do. The answer is not, my mom brought me. You have been brought here. This church, this worship service is God's weekly instituted place of renewal. Why are you here? You see, if you come to church without an answer to that question, then where's God going to meet you? Where's God going to minister to you? You are here with your point of resignation because God wants to renew you under his counsel and under his tenderness. So why are you here? You're here for more than a reason that it's Sunday morning. Then God gives us this powerful theophany. There's this wind and this earthquake and this fire. And yet the text tells us that God was not in these things. God can come in those things, but here to Elijah, the worn-out prophet, God is not in the wind, God is not in the earthquake, God is not in the fire. Why? Because we want to live in front of the earthquakes and the fires and the windstorms. We want to we be where the action is. We like the busyness, we like the noise. Those places keep us from dealing with the point of resignation. But Elijah is not brought to busyness and to noise. Elijah is brought to stillness and quiet. Why? Beloved, noise keeps us from God. Noise keeps us from God. Busyness keeps us from God. This is going to sound kind of preachy, but you want to know why your prayer time doesn't have much room? Go to your phone and see how much usage it's getting each and every day. That phone is designed to keep you out of quiet, to keep you in the noise, and to keep you busy. If you want to hear God, you need to have silence in your life. 
Psalm 62, verse 1. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. Beloved, let me ask you, what do you need to do to create silence? What app on your phone do you need to delete? What social obligation do you need to take a season off from? What do you need to do to create spaces of silence? Your soul is at the point of resignation. You need to create spaces of silence for God to speak into you. Now, with my entire social calendar deleted and myself moved uh, away from uh, any community, God gave me long swaths of silence. And so I was forced to listen. And to this terrible question of, am I finished? There was a gentle word that was given to me through that long period where nothing was happening, nothing was on the horizon. God spoke to me from a Roman, Romans eleven twenty nine these words, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And that's all he gave me. That was... That was all I had to chew on day in and day out, even though I saw no fulfillment of that. But that is what God's counsel was while I was here. So God's care, God's counsel, the third grace God gives in this place of renewal is God's commission. Let us look now at verses 14 to 18. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So we've seen God's care, God's counsel. Now in the place of renewal, we see God's commission. Elijah shares his complaint again. And I think it is beautiful to recognize that God is gentle and responsive to his complaint. God answers Elijah's exhaustion and his discouragement and his loneliness by saying, first of all, to, to your enemy Jezebel and, and all the ilk that uh, are, are promoting Baal, I'm going to send with you Hazel and Jehu. I'm going to send some mighty swords, and they are going to clean house. To your concern that Israel is lost and that you're all alone, I'm going to tell you there are 7,000 people in Israel who are still with you who still worship God. And to your loneliness, I am going to give you Elisha, who will bear the mantle of prophet with you. So uh, God deals gently with his concerns, but most of all, after all of that, God renews his call. He still says to Elijah, go. Now, I think it's important to recognize that this commission that God sends Elijah back is conditioned and uh, adjusted from the point of resignation that Elijah had. You see, God sends uh, Elijah back with the things that brought him into the uh, things that he needed that he discovered from his point of resignation. And so there is a relationship between the point of resignation and God's call upon our next chapter. Now often that's as simple as this, 
in your point of resignation, God has shown you a weakness or a hurt or an injustice in this world that now you've had to taste. And because you have had to personally taste it, you have an empathy and a compassion to that issue. For me, at my point of resignation, I came to be absolutely concerned for the exhaustion of other pastors because 2020 and 2021 was chewing up pastor's joy and pastor's hope like nothing had come before. And so when we came back up uh, to Kansas City, we started uh, going to, least, uh, to Colonial uh, Presbyterian, which is a church a little closer to where we live. And I could tell that the pastor there, Jim West, was just dealing with some of the load. And so my sense of call at that time was just to be an encourager, to be an empathetic encourager. And I sent Pastor West just a, an email appreciating his preaching and uh, uh, appreciating the, the difficulties that he is going through as a pastor right now and just told him I'm praying for you. That, that was my sense of call at that time. What has your point of resignation revealed to you about needs in this world? God's call, once you admit your point of resignation, may very well be to be a Christian witness and a Christian light to that particular place of devastation. And he has outfitted you for that by bringing you through it. In the place of renewal, God's message is actually pretty simple. To Elijah and to us, it is basically this. You are not finished. You want to know why? Because I am with you. And as long as I am with you, you cannot be finished. So go, continue your ministry. God's care, God's counsel, and God's commission will be your unfailing strength. You have not failed. You are not finished. Go because I am with you. So stage one is the point of resignation. Stage two is the place of renewal. And then after all of this renewal work, stage three comes, and that is the path of restoration. The path of restoration. We finish our chapter, verses 19 to 21. We read, So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So stage three is the path of restoration. Notice as Elijah goes back, his restoration comes with a helper. He now goes back with Elisha. And Elisha and Elijah, as you continue to read the story of 1 Kings, uh, have an, a powerful ministry. And here's the really amazing thing. When, when Elisha and Elijah come together, is that Elijah's ministry after his point of resignation will actually accomplish more for northern Israel than his ministry before his point of resignation. Now, it's not Elijah that's going to get all the glory, but because Elijah came to his point of resignation and God sends him to recruit Jehu and Hazel and Elisha, the instruments that God has, has planned to destroy all of Baal worship in the northern kingdom are set in motion. And the house of Ahab, Jezebel, and all of the Baal prophets are eliminated after Elijah has come to his point of resignation. So what, is, what does this mean for us? It means that uh, his act two was greater than his act one. Elijah was brought into weakness to be replenished with God's strength so that Elijah's ministry accomplished more after he came to his end than before. You know, after I sent that email to encourage uh, Pastor West at Colonial, 
he reached out and wanted to have lunch. And so I had absolutely nothing going on. <laughs> so I said, yeah, I happened to be free that day. And I had, uh, I had lunch with Pastor Jim, and he got to know uh, my story that we're living in Lee Summit, that I'm an ordained pastor in the EPC. And he looks at me with kind of this curious face, and he says, we have been wanting to plant a church in Lee Summit. Have you ever thought of church planting? And I honestly couldn't believe my ears. But there, at the end of my place of renewal, I came into the hearing again of the call that God has upon my life. And for the last year, Colonial and I have been working through what planting a church would look like. And we are in partnership to plant a church in Lee Summit, Missouri. It's an EPC church, and the name of that church is Renew. And so God is good, amen? God is good all the time. So the key question that I have for you is, could life's plinko have been God's way to position you to experience his power to renew and restore you? Could the plinko that you have been through and the box that you have landed in not been accidental, but have been the means that God has taken to bring you to a point of resignation and a point of availability to be renewed and restored in ways greater than you imagined? That is the truth of the gospel. That is the hope of the gospel. But there is only one way for you to hear God's yes to that question. And that's where Hebrews takes us. Hebrews tells us, through faith, the prophets were made strong out of weakness. Beloved, many of you here are in the point of resignation. And instead of going forward in the point of renewal, you have chosen to be stuck. You have chosen to be a complainer. You have chosen to be despairing. You have chosen to be complacent. You have chosen to shrug and say, it's just life. This is as good as it gets. Some of you have stalled out at the point of resignation because you don't want to go forward. You're afraid of what forward looks like. And so you put on a suit, you put on armor, and you say, life's okay, even though it is not. You are at the point of resignation. Some of you are lost entirely. Some of you are here just because your mom brought you or your, or your spouse brought you. And you're at the point of resignation. You are falling, but you don't have a clue that there's anything else that could possibly be done. So you put up with it. You paint a grin on your face. Friend, this turmoil, this point of resignation is God calling you right now to the place of renewal. Listen to these words of Jesus. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who said these words? The one who said these words are the one who took the point of resignation and groaned until he gave his last breath. The point of resignation for our Lord was death on a cross, death under the unremitting wrath of God, death that begged, I thirst, death that begged, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His point of dereliction was the, the point of resignation that far exceeds any one of ours. 
And because he has taken that, he can say to you with the confidence of the resurrection, come to me. All who are heavy, all who are burdened, all who are weary, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Receive my care, my counsel, my commission, and I will give you rest. Beloved, he is calling you. He is ready to renew you. He has the strength that you need. Come to him in faith. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that even our points of resignation are not past your power to deliver. Father, give us the courage today to take our point of resignation to you, to open that part to answer your question, why are you here? And to allow your care and your counsel and your commission to do its almighty work, to heal us in our weakness and to reform us into better image bearers of Christ. Father, for those in this room who are at a point of resignation but don't know anything of the gospel personally, I pray that you would make them know that it is not this preacher saying these words, but it is the Holy Spirit who is right now at the door of their heart saying, come to me. Supply that heart the faith to respond and to know that on the other side of, yes, I put my faith in you, I receive your forgiveness and your lordship that there is a bond that you will give to that person that they will never be forsaken, they will never be abandoned, and they will experience your renewal and your restoration. If not today, then certainly in eternity. Father, we pray all of this in the beautiful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.